This is Speaking of Speaking. Quick tips and tools to take you from stage fright to spotlight. This podcast gives you an inside look from the world of public speaking and the speaking secrets you need to be bold from the stage, no matter what business you're in. The host of Speaking of Speaking, Carl Richards. Thank you, Matt. Yes, it's another edition of the Speaking of Speaking podcast. We have another great guest today. Dina Lynn Rosenbush is a speaker, international best-selling author, mindset mastery coach. That's what she's doing today. <laughs> she has a number of things she's done in her life, though, including she spent several years in speech pathology and education and part of her story that she shares. And I don't know if she'll share this today or not. That might be another podcast down the line, but she might get to sharing this today as well. But she's also a late stage Lyme disease survivor. So Dina Lynn, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Carl. This is very fun to be here. It's an honor to have you here. Speaking today about, this will go back, I guess, a little bit to your years in speech pathology and education. And this is an area we have not covered on the podcast yet. And I can't think of a better person to talk about this. And that's any parent listening wants to know all of the answers to this. We probably can't cover all of it in the time that we have, but we can certainly give them some pointers. And that is, how do you talk to kids so they listen? (laughs) Parents scratching their heads going, yeah, how do you do that? Is there a magical thing that you do? Mm -hmm. How do we do that? So let's talk about that. Let's talk about how do you engage kids, youth in discussion so that they are listening to you? What are some first steps that parents need to realize? Thank you. That is a good question. And it is a common struggle. All of us as parents, uh, we want our kids to listen to what we we expect that they do. And when I think about the answer to that question, and I've been asked that many, many times over the years teaching, I always come back to thinking about what it is that prevents kids from listening. And the things that prevents kids from listening are those things that prevents humans from listening. Of course, there's going to be differences for age. You've got, you know, obviously the toddler and the teenager have some differences. But when I thought about this topic, I thought I needed to focus on that, which stops all humans from listening. And there are four main things that I thought of that stops humans from listening. And I think the first one we should think about is negative emotions. And negative emotions come up for so many different reasons. And for our kids, when we give them a direction, their negative emotions can be any number of things that are in their background. It can be what it is that they have experienced that day. It can be the tone of your voice. And very often, it is how they perceive what you meant by what you said, not what you're saying. Sometimes it's interruptions and they don't know how to handle the interruptions. They don't have the brain development to know how to handle the feelings that are going on. So recognizing the feelings that a child has and that their response is a mirror of the feelings, that will help you to be able to recognize what that child is feeling in such a way that it can be validated and it'll calm the feelings. And then you bond that relationship and then they obey because of the relationship. It's funny you mentioned that because it sounds glaringly obvious mm-hmm. that negative emotions don't have the same staying power, shall we say, or they do have staying power, but they don't have Way the same. Too much. <laughs> yeah, yeah, too much in some cases, but they don't have the same reaction as positive approach or as a well thought through approach 
we know that as adults, but when it comes to kids, do we disconnect sometimes from reality and maybe we see them as almost like as they're humans in training. So we have to train them (laughs) and we have to give them education. And sometimes that education might be harsh. That's just part of growing up because that's just a thing that we do. Does that factor into play sometimes as a parent when they're trying to work through that? I think a lot of times we as parents, as adults, we talk to our children as if they are little adults, like you say, humans in training. But to get behind the mind of a child and to get back into how a child views things, we have to remember that they are looking through a different lens. They are looking through the lens of that which they understand at that point of their life. And so if you can stop and think about what it is that they understand, And then go from that perspective. And we always remember that children learn when they play and instructions or any kind of teaching that we have sticks better if they're enjoying it, if they're having fun. And so if we can remember that movement and fun and happiness causes the teaching to stick, then when we tell them to do something and they aren't sure what it is that we're saying, because here we are for the second point is too many words. We, as adults, we will throw a barrage of words at our children, what we want them to do. And if they don't quite get it, then we go back to the negative feelings. They feel stupid. Or if they don't quite get it, they tune out. If they don't quite get it, it could be just that the sentence is too long for the age and stage that they're at or whatever is going on currently in their mind. So, That whole idea of speaking to the child as a child, knowing your child well enough to know how long of a sentence can they understand. Now, that's part of my speech pathology background to teach that to parents. Right. But, you know, so that would be something that like if somebody was coaching with me, I could say, well, your child is this age, use this kind of language. If it's that age, use that kind of language. We have to be able to get behind the eyes into the mind of the child to figure out what do they already understand? And using what we know they already understand, can we use those words to bring them forward? Can we use those concepts to drive them to the next thing? I think that's true in the adult world, too, when you talk about the words that we use and how complex the words can be sometimes. I have, for example, I have a business coach who for years has been saying, you should be writing your 10-second or your 15-second pitch so a seven-year-old understands it. And when you say that as an adult, we think, well, I don't want to make it sound that simple, but you need to make it sound that simple. So now when, of course, when you're speaking to a six-year-old or a seven-year-old, if you're not using language that they understand to me, and based on what you've just said, that it only makes sense that you can't speak above them. You have to put yourself in that place of understanding so they get it. The other thing that I like that you said, I just want to touch on this. And I think this carries into adulthood. Correct me if I'm wrong, but it's children learn by having fun. Don't adults Mm -hmm. also learn by having fun, even if we don't want to admit it? We strip it out of our lives, but play is very, very important. And when we think about what is play, you know, it is something that we have enjoyment in and it's something we're curious about. And how much more do we learn when we're curious How much more do we learn when we want to? And that is foundational of play. And so even with our children, I think Mary Poppins had it right. In everything that must be done, there is an element of fun. Absolutely. And that concept is something that I have always tried to take into my parenting, to take into my teaching. And what I try to teach parents to put into their world 
And frankly, it works with a spouse. <laughs> it works with my parents. You know, it works with my friends. It works with everybody because if we're trying to communicate, we all want joy and right. curiosity and fun in what it is that we're doing, which is just another word for play. Yep. I like that. It works with your spouse. I'm going to try that after the podcast and see if see if it actually works. I well, it will, because though, if that... you engage her and you catch her curiosity and she's having fun with it, whatever the topic is, yeah. then you've got something together. You're doing a relationship thing. It no longer Absolutely. is. I'm over you. I am joining with you. That's a great approach. It's yeah. like you become on the same team. You become... Right together doing something. And I think that when you do that with kids of any age, I am talking down to a two-year-old that is stomping because they want a popsicle. You know, if you can get behind the mind of where they're at and become on their team and even like fuss with them too and say, I want that too later. Oh, neat. You know, so that, I mean, that would just be an example of how to recognize what they want and give an answer that isn't absolutely not because we know the answer is not never yeah, the answer, exactly. you know, is like, maybe you're not having it before supper. You're not having it now. Dina Lynn Rosenbush, speaker, international best-selling author. We're chatting about how do you talk to kids? So they listen, you said you had a few more points you wanted to cover here. So yeah. we've talked about, I believe the first two, what's next in that equation for talking to kids so they will listen. So the third thing would be the acronym HALT. So HALT means stop. And whenever you have these really bad behaviors or not listening, I like to use that acronym. I learned many years ago. I cannot remember from whom I learned it, but H in HALT is for hunger. And so consider, is your kid hungry? They might not realize it, but under hunger, think of it as thirst, nutrition, Hunger. Is their body hungry for something? And we see our commercials for hangry. We as adults also have that problem. We don't listen as well. We don't want to cooperate as well if we have some basic biological problems going on. And hunger is one of them. And so with our kids to, you know, for us to stop and consider how long has it been since they've eaten? And could they be thirsty? And sometimes even just offering them some glass of water, you know, some, an apple, something, and then confront or discuss a difficult topic will make a difference. I know. But, I, I know I act up when I'm hungry. I just had me to too. So, so, me so, too. so yeah, it's again, I think that's human behavior. And when it's funny, when I worked mm-hmm. in the fast food industry, the worst time to deal with people is when they're hungry mm-hmm. and when they don't have a lot of time. So they're hungry and pressed for time. Yeah. Working in a fast food restaurant, what are you dealing with? People who are hungry and, and they don't have a lot of time. <laughs> yeah. They're they're appreciative, but every now and again, <laughs> you would get that the hangry customer. Mm-hmm. Once you put yourself in that place, you understand the psychology a little bit more. You go, okay, how do you react when you're hungry and you're pressed for time? And this is what you're going with. And you get the order wrong. And for some people, they only act on impulse. Right. So the impulse is to throw their food on the counter and be angry. Other people react differently. And I'm assuming it's the same with kids that they react differently too in certain in situations. Absolutely. And developmentally, we know that there is a difference yeah. for this talk. I'm focusing on that, which is human. 
there are developmental differences clearly. And that would be something to tease apart because of age, but not for today. So H, a, is halt, H is halt. A yeah, is anger. And so if there's anger going on, they will not be able to hear you. They will not be able to listen. Adults are the same way. L is for lonely. And so oftentimes with children, if they feel lonely, you only need to embrace them for a time. They soften and then they're ready to do things. And then the T is for tired. So anyway, H being hunger is a biological consideration. A and L go right back to the number one, the negative emotions, angry and lonely. And then T being tired, you're going back to biology. Are they tired? Did they get good quality sleep? Do they regularly get good quality sleep? Have they worked really, really hard? Maybe they need a physical break, a mental break. They've done different things. Are they tired? So that would be the third thing is halt. Hunger, anger, lonely, tired. Yes. And that would be the parental instruction. Stop. Halt. Consider these things. And for my raising of kids, I found that probably 80, 90% of the time, it would fall under those four. So very rarely did it sway from those four. And if it did, it was a different set of circumstances then. Right. Which brings us to the fourth point, which is... If there's illness and injury, you've got pain and discomfort going on. You might have drug involvement, pain relievers. If the kid just had a broken leg, they're not going to be listening well when you start talking about teaching them banking, you know, whatever age stage, of course, that the child's at. If you've got some kind of drug involvement, you know, their concentration and their memory is not necessarily going to be what it was. If you've got them on a decongestant, they're not going to be who they normally are. And so our expectations have to be lower because again, it's honoring the humanity of that human. They are not in that point able to go on. And, you know, we have all seen this in ourselves. We have seen this with our kids, but somehow we as parents expect this resiliency from our children that they are able to rise above that and just put your shoes on, you know, <laughs> and because we're not asking a whole lot, go brush your teeth before bedtime or whatever it is that we're asking. And they're not able to, what they really need is somebody to come alongside them again, to help them. Even if it's, let me put the toothpaste on your toothbrush and then just stand in the bathroom. It's that encouragement piece when they're in that position of discomfort or pain. Interesting. You mentioned that I wanted to ask you a question about, cause you did mention medication or drugs mm -hmm. and it brings up the question of what about children who are on behavioral medication? Mm -hmm. So how does that factor into their listening and being able to, and then the parents knowing how, how to deal with that? How does that yeah. factor in? That's a huge factor because nowadays we have a lot of children on medications. When I first started teaching in the early 90s, there wasn't nearly the number of kids on medication yeah. as there is now. And so I think what it comes down to is the parent getting to know their child on medication yeah. and off medication so that you know, okay, first, I know what my child knows because I have been in tune. And I've been on their team. But another thing is, what are they like with medication? And what are they like without medication? And for some children, that is a vastly different person. And so if they have a, an ability, and sometimes those abilities off medication in certain areas are better, and on medication in certain areas are better. You know, so sometimes it's really about knowing what your child 
is like. And so if you're going to be going for a hike through the woods and your kids are on medication that causes them to be more lethargic and slow, maybe, and again, I can't say this is a thing because this depends on the child and what the diagnosis is. I would never say this is a blanket statement, but maybe a certain day would be the day that you're not going to give that medication if it's that kind that you can waffle on. And then other days where you're going to have to sit in a funeral, (laughs) you're going to be giving that medication. And that's just one example and probably maybe not a good one because there's so many different kinds of medication and, and so many different reasons for medication. But nonetheless, Knowing what your child is like with and without matters. Absolutely. So that you can set your expectation. You can come alongside them with what it is that their needs more likely are, given how you have, you know, studied their emotions as you have focused on that number one, that negative emotions. How do they respond? And so when you see those responses that are not what you want them to be, what else is going on? Maybe it's an older child with bullying or something in school. There's so many other factors that could be going on. This is a great discussion, Dina Lynn, that we've been having today. Dina Lynn Rosenbush, my guest today. And it's not a topic we've covered on the Speaking of Speaking podcast. We tend to talk a, a lot about professional speaking, speaking anxiety, public speaking fear. But one of the things that as a speech pathologist, and just to extend this just a tiny, tiny bit further before I let you go, is how that communication is important. And I know off microphone, when we were setting up this interview, I revealed my story when I shared that I used to stutter when I was a kid. And not that we're going to have another discussion about stuttering, but all of those things all factor into play on how we communicate with our kids and what the messaging should be like. Yeah, absolutely. And when our message to the kids tells them, I love you no matter what, you can trust me with your bad feelings. When they get the sense that they know that they can trust you with their bad feelings and they can Mm. open up all of that, sometimes you end up with more for a little while because it allows them to learn how to navigate it themselves. It teaches them how to go find their resources within themselves because you've given that example. So becoming the team player to deal with those emotions are very, very foundational. And speaking of resources, you have some fantastic resources for parents to help them in their journey to improve their communication with their kids too. Talk about the program that you have. Yeah, I have online program for parents. It's just about done being developed. So probably by the time that this airs, it'll be done. And it is to help parents communicate better with their kids at any stage of life because Really, we're looking at human interaction. We're looking at human communication. But because of my background, I certainly know that age and stage and what is the more likely causes at each age and stage. So I want to be able to provide for the parents that are looking for what do I do to build that relationship with my kids, to be able to get my kids to comply with me, to be able to get over these different childhood hurdles that are blocking our joy in our home. So building that communication so your kids know what to do when you tell them what to do and they listen well. It starts with a discovery call or discovery session with you to see even if it's the right fit. Right. Thank you for bringing that up. Yes. Write to me 
in an email and we will set up a discovery call. We can have a conversation about what it is that you're looking for, what the age and stage of your kids are, find out if what it is that you're dealing with is something that I can help with. And then we can decide what to do from there. And the email address is dinalinr at gmail.com. Okay. And we'll be putting that in the show notes. So you'll be able to copy and connect to Dina Lynn that way. Dina Lynn Rosenbush, speaker, international bestselling author. It's been a great discussion today, how to talk to kids so they listen. I've certainly learned a lot today. So thank you for being my guest today. Before I let you go though, final thought, what would it be? Thank you for hosting. This is fantastic. I think we need to remember that it's really all about relationships. Everything that you're doing with your kids as parents, it is about forging a trusting, loving, deep relationship where they know that they can bring you their negative emotions, that you are connecting with them, that you'll consider their other issues like their hunger or their fatigue or their medications or illnesses or whatever is going on. But it's all about relationship. Lynn Rosenbush, thanks for joining me today on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Carl. And remember, get out there and own the platform. Thanks for listening to the Speaking of Speaking podcast. Fired up about something you heard today? Want to learn more? Be sure to visit carlspeaks.ca. And don't forget to follow Carl on Twitter at CarlRichard72 or join the Facebook group Speaking of Speaking 